Hello Highland Church, Chase here. If you do not know me, I am the youth resident for the student ministry. And today I'm gonna to be reading from John chapter three, verses five through 16. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, and may have eternal life. The word of the Lord. Good morning. It is really good to see you. I'm not even going to try to match the welcome that Rob just gave you. But I got to tell you one thing. The sound that I love more than anything else this morning were the sound of those children over there. That was beautiful to me. And I'm so glad you parents are probably the most courageous parents in the world. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate that. It is good to be back. I got to tell you, like, you know, people have asked me, especially our executive minister, Ben Seibert, what's going to be different when all the people come back? And I'm going to be like, well, there's energy in the room. People are going to finally laugh at my jokes. And he's like, what makes you think they're going to laugh at your jokes? <laughs> it's good to see you. All right, I want to tell you about a couple of things before we jump into John chapter three. If you want to turn your Bible or your uh, Bible app there, that's where we're going to be. First of all, in the foyer on the wall, there's a big chalkboard, and, and you're going to see at the top of that, it says the Embodied Project Prayer Wall. And that's an opportunity for us as a community and a congregation to engage in the act and work of prayer. And obviously, I hope that you've been following along with the Embodied Project, those emails that have been coming out to you every Sunday morning. If you haven't started listening to those, you need to start listening to those now. You need to start hearing the stories of the people from our church and their experiences in this world. Because sometimes what you're going to hear is going to surprise you. And it may shock you. But above all, I hope it convicts you. And then we'd love for you to engage in one of those small groups uh, that can able to process and think and talk about that together. And so if you want to offer a prayer, that opportunity is available. The other thing I want to remind you is I see a lot of college students in the room, and we are so glad that you are here. Um, and it, it means a lot to us. You bring new energy every August. And uh, there is an expression of Highland. What you're going to see over the next month or so is lots of different expressions of who we are as we navigate this interesting time together. And right now, start at 930, they're probably just wrapping up, uh, is Highland at the Acre. And this is aimed at college students. So if, if you're here, uh, that's great. If you want to go there next week, that's great. Um, 
we did this process last week, and I got to, to experience it. It was a pretty amazing. It was like about a, 175 college students and, and friends that were all gathered together to worship God in this outdoor, socially distanced, mask setting. And, and a lot of you spread the word. A lot of you know people that, that were college students that were coming in from somewhere else, and you told them. And I'm really grateful for that. And our, our, our Highland team, our university ministry team is really grateful for that. And if you know somebody else that's a college student that you think might need to get plugged in, or if you are a college student looking for a church, we want you to know that we care about you and your faith. And if you want more information about what's going on at Highland at the Acre, or about what's happening in Highlands University Ministry and future gatherings, you can be found by visiting the University Ministry Instagram page, and you can check out there more there. Um, as, uh, as Rob mentioned, in a, in a couple of weeks, we're going to start an expression of Highland called Highland in the Park. That's September 13th. It's going to start at 9 a.m. Uh, this is going to be an outdoor uh, setting at Festival Gardens in Nelson. Uh, we're excited about this. Uh, it's going to be a, a, a service that's going to last 45, 50 minutes long, a, a time of worship, and a time of kind of family interaction where we dig deep into faith, and then a short sermon ending in communion. And uh, it's a beautiful spot. We've been out there several times at 9 a.m., and there's good shade. Um, it's not too hot, in theory. Uh, and so we want you to think about checking that out. And this is a tremendous opportunity to invite someone that you've met over the last five months. This is a place where it's, it's, it's about as safe as we can possibly make gathering. Outdoor, spaced, mask, socially distanced. And so we want to encourage you, if you would like to experience that, go check it out. But more importantly, invite someone else to be a part of it. It's just kind of a new and different thing that we would never have thought to do if it hadn't been for the situation that we're in. It's going to be kid-friendly. It's going to be amazing. As soon as you're done with, uh, we're going to try to get food. As soon as you're done with worship, you can go over and visit the lions at the zoo. Uh, it's it's going to be incredible. I want us to move into a, a moment of prayer before we uh, jump into the sermon. And I want this to be interaction because for the first time in five months, we can do that. And what I'd like to do is I'll say a line of the prayer. And then I'd like us as a congregation and even for you at home to respond with, Lord, hear our prayer. Please join me. Father, for those who are covering from the devastating hurricanes this week, Lord, hear our prayer. For those who are in harm's way and battling fires in California and Colorado, Lord, hear our prayer. For the loss of precious lives and potential futures in Kenosha, Wisconsin, Lord, hear our prayer. For those fighting COVID and a myriad of other diseases, Lord, hear our prayer. And for the ongoing struggle of racial reconciliation, we admit that without divine guidance, we are doomed to repeat the failure and sins of the past. And so turn our eyes to you, to the life and death of your son, and give us the courage to stand against evil, O oh Lord, hear our prayer. And Father, as we enter into this time of meditating and focusing on your word, I pray that you pour through me the gift of preaching, that I might speak your truth and love to these, your people. And it's together that the church says, amen. All right, this is going to sound a little crazy, but I want you to hang with me until the end. 
There are some scholars who like to point out the progression of the plagues in the story of, of Moses and Pharaoh and the Exodus in Egypt. And, and you could argue scientifically that what happened in the first plague where the Nile turned to blood was a, a, a huge red algae bloom. And, and so the, the Nile appeared to turn red, and, and algae blooms, which we know happens a lot, it, it kills a lot of the oxygen in, in the water. And so some of the, the, the fish that, that eat tadpoles died. And so what happened was an increase of frogs, and the frogs spill over the banks of the Nile and begin going to a lot of other places and infest the cities. And, uh, and then the frogs died in waves, which caused flies and fleas and lice that came in abundance, whose bites spread diseases that might have caused boils and a livestock die off later on. And to understand the rhythm of the plagues, from this semi-scientific perspective is interesting, but it misses the theological punch of the text. This, this isn't an upset ecosystem. And this isn't a battle between Moses and Pharaoh to let the Hebrews go. This is the dominance of Yahweh over the Egyptian pantheon. The judgment of a God on a nation that extorted slaves for 400 years and the clear demonstration to the Hebrews that Yahweh is powerful beyond a doubt. It is nothing less than the wrath of God. And they're going to need to remember that as they wander through the desert for the next 40 years. Even more importantly, for them to have this defining moment when they realize the idols of Egypt have no power as they cross the Jordan. And there must be no allegiance in their hearts as they enter into God's new reality. And I wonder if you were to name the idols of American culture, what would they be? Maybe an overemphasis on, on youth and, and, and health and, and advanced medical interventions to save us. Maybe a, a distorted uh, understanding of the role of the economy in our culture. The economy almost becomes this continuously ravenous beast that must be fed. It must desour, devour. It is the sole metric for our society's success and failure. Maybe it's a reliance on commercialism and identity as of self well-being. This is not just the clothes one wears, the car one drives, the house you live in, or the kind of vacation you can take that defines you. Transportation, shelter, and clothing are all a gift from God, but they cannot impart worth. Maybe one of those idols is an arrogant exceptionalism that the American culture is fundamentally better than other nations, or even worse, preferred by God. Maybe it's an American refusal to address its original sin, racism and the stain of generational slavery, Japanese concentration cramps, Jim Crow, red line neighborhoods, disproportionate sentencing guidelines for crimes more often committed in impoverished neighborhoods. And I need to tell you the truth that in the last six months, it is like there has been a plague that is marking a precision strike on each one of our American gods. And our last myth, by the way, 
is that our military has been the dominant force in the world for the last 80 years. If 2020 is going to have a grand finale, that is going to be it. Make no, no, make no mistake, what we are experiencing is the wrath of Yahweh calling Christians out of our idyllic stupor. It is nothing less than the wrath of God. Totally crazy, right? Except this is exactly how the 6th century prophets sounded to the nation of Israel as it leads up to and experiences the loss, the grief, the disequilibrium, of the exile to Babylon. The temple is destroyed. The leaders are all sent away. Jerusalem is in ruins. Everything that they held on to, the myths about their security and their exceptionalism are all gone. And the prophets are clear. The Babylonians and the Assyrians did not do this. God did it. God could not hear their worship because of the sound of them oppressing, oppressing the poor was drowning out their music. God could not bear their temple offerings and the gifts that they gave because of their allegiance to foreign gods. The temple would not save them. And the prophets were saying, this is going to sound a little crazy, but hang with me until the end. Thomas Merton often quotes the phrase, don't confuse the finger pointing at the moon and the moon itself. Maybe you've experienced this if you have a dog or small children, toddlers, they're virtually the same. And uh, <laughs> that when you, when you point to something, you say, hey, go, go, what's that? Go do this that the child or the dog is not so much going to focus on the object of what you're talking about, but as your finger, right? Because your finger is the thing that moves, and so their attention goes to the finger. Don't confuse the finger with what the finger is pointing towards, the moon. And so we come to John 3 and this story of Nicodemus. Now, and when you read the book of John, the thing that you have to realize is that, that John, you have to pay attention to the details, John puts important things in the details, and it shapes the story and how we understand it and how we read it. And, and Nicodemus comes at night, and you don't want to miss that. Nicodemus is, is part of the establishment, but he, he sees something. There's something about Jesus that makes him perplexed, and he experiences this holy curiosity. But what he experiences is even more confounding. Nicodemus can see, but not completely. What Nicodemus can't see is the spiritual ossification that's happening to his soul. And it's almost as if Jesus says, this is going to sound a little crazy, but, but hang with me until the end. And Nicodemus says, tell me about the kingdom. And it's almost as if Jesus says, you can't get there from here. You need to be reborn. And Nicodemus replies, that's impossible. I can't do that. By the way, don't you think that Nicodemus is the perfect name for a baby boy? Now, if you agree with me, would you please text my wife and let her know that? And if you disagree with me, sit on that feeling. Um, Nicodemus is a wonderful name and a perfect story. Nicodemus says, that's impossible. I can't do that. 
And there's, there's details in this text that we have to notice. And, and one of the things is that when Jesus says born again, in Greek, that's almost the same thing as saying born from above. And Nicodemus takes the wrong bait and the wrong meaning, and he chases it to this illogical end. But I think maybe what Jesus is trying to say is you have to be born from above. Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. Nicodemus can't get to the kingdom from where he is, not because he's too sinful or too lost, but because the religious structure around him has limited his vision. And he's not able to see the unfolding kingdom. Nicodemus has confused the finger for the moon a Pharisee, a religious teacher, a Jerusalem opinion leader can't see it. And it's in this context where where Jesus says one of the most popular and profound verses in the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. The plagues in Egypt were to show the dominance of Yahweh over the Egyptian gods. The destruction and the 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 destruction of Jerusalem and the temple was a demonstration to say that God doesn't need our worship as much as God needs our hearts. And if those two stories in the scripture tell us anything, it tells us that God is willing to sacrifice everything to capture the hearts of God's people. God is willing to sacrifice a nation. God is willing to sacrifice your most deeply held idolic beliefs. God is willing to sacrifice his son so that those who believe in him, those that love him, might experience life and life eternal. And Nicodemus, like Paul, like Moses, like the rich young ruler, like Mary and Martha, like the crowd that caught the woman in adultery, you can't get to the kingdom from where they are. They must be reborn. They must be reborn into a new way of living and a new way of thinking and a new way of being. Jesus tells us, don't look at the finger, look at what I am looking at. And so we don't hold too tightly on the things we think will save us because God abhors idolatry in our hearts. And I wonder if it's in this time of uncertainty. I wonder if we're confusing the finger for the moon. It's not about our our carefully laid internet arguments. It's about seeing each other as God sees us, as image bearers. And so we listen to the stories of our brothers and sisters. It's not about masks or individual rights, but but seeking to understand Jesus' command to love our neighbors as ourselves. And so maybe we're experiencing the wrath of God. Or maybe this is just microbiology and physics playing itself out. I don't know. But I do know this. God is calling you to a deeper place of hope, of joy, 
of captivation in his love. But you can't get there from here. We need to be born from above. You need to be born again. And so this week, may you be radically transformed by the power of the Spirit, transforming hearts and renewing our minds. It's the bridge that allows us to get from here to there. May you fix your eyes on Jesus who began our faith and finishes our faith because he's the one that's going to take us through to the place that we need to go. It is only through Jesus that we can get there. And may we endure the coming calamities because we know that God is with us. It is so good to see you again. And for those of you at home, we are so glad that you were able to join us. This week, be transformed. May you be filled with God's spirit and may you go in peace.